Hello, and welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the ups and downs of the creative process and how to keep it moving. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. I am a writer, singer, improv comedy newbie, science fiction geek, and creativity coach who loves helping right-brained folks get unstuck. I am so excited to be coming to you with interviews and coaching calls to show you the depth and breadth both of creative pursuits and creative people, to give you some insight into their experiences, and to inspire you. A lot of us think that wisdom only comes with age, but then a lot of us also tend to forget that it's our experiences that make us wise in the first place. The struggles we go through form and shape us and give us perspective we might not have had otherwise. My guest today, Ryan Ward, is a perfect example of how experience grants us wisdom even when we're on the younger side. At 29, Ryan has survived a deeply toxic relationship, which he does discuss here, and reinvented himself from changing his name to moving clear across the country to work as a circus performer and teacher. While we do talk about how he got into circus work in this interview, there's also a lot about what Ryan's learned from the experience, how he interacts with his world, how he handles fear, and most importantly, how he determines what works for him and what doesn't in relationships of all kinds, and how he handles the things that don't serve him well. It's a story of concentrated personal growth, especially in terms of the importance of taking care of ourselves first and the wisdom and courage that comes out of that growth. I promise this conversation with Ryan Ward will give you a lot to think about. Ryan Ward, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to hear your story, and I I know you have quite a story, so I want to let you just start wherever you think it makes the most sense to start, because I know you have been on quite a creative journey. I have. I actually um, updated my website and everything last night because previously, and as you and I have discussed, when you kind of went to the homepage, it was very, um, well, what is this? Mm -hmm. And I've been trying really hard to keep my, tell my story from like a third party perspective, just because I want people to be able to envision themselves in it and Mm -hmm. relate to it instead of focusing like, oh, well, this is how it affects him. Like I wanted people to be able to see it as like a I am the main character this is how I'm growing versus a like this is my autobiography so yesterday I went through and I updated everything and I was like no I need to actually like fill people in so I was writing the the, rewriting my bio and everything and I um went back and reread it and I got really emotional and I was like oh oh so this is what vulnerability feels like (laughs) so I guess hi my name is Ryan I'm (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm better known in social media and my podcast, my website. I go by my screen name, Token Carney. Um, it's just a, a, an easy way to remove myself from the situation, like I said. And it also lets me be more honest about everything because mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like I'm talking about me specifically. I'm talking about Token, and that mm-hmm. makes my life a lot easier. So I guess I'm... How old am I? I'm 29. I live in right outside Anaheim, California, so I'm like right by Disney. And I'm from Florida, so I moved from Florida to here. And my whole background for everything, I went to Florida State University. I have a Bachelor of Arts in Theater, and I'm a circus performer, which is where the token carny comes from. Mm -hmm. When I was in college, um, I was part of uh, a program where we all communicated on Twitter when Twitter first came out. And we needed screen names, and I couldn't think of a screen name for myself. 
I was, I'd always be watching circus videos. And one day one of the guys came in and he's like, are you watching another Cirque du Soleil video? I said, what am I, is that all I do? Am I like your token carny, like the token black guy, but for circus? And it just stuck. So everybody was like <laughs> token carny. There it is. Um, Cause there's always one. So it just began. That's, that's what I did. And then things got different when I graduated. I moved to Orlando. Um, I worked for all of the parks. Mm-hmm. I worked for everything. I was just trying really hard to build a name for myself in the industry, which is hard as a, I graduated at, when did I, I was 20 when I graduated. I turned, no, I wasn't. I was 21. Yeah. I graduated at 21 and it was very difficult to move to a huge city with nothing, never, like, the, the mm-hmm. only experience I had living away from home was at college, which isn't very much living away, like, an experience right. of, because you're not doing anything. So I worked for several parks. I realized what I didn't want to do. I realized who I didn't want to work with, and it got to the point of standing up for myself as far as work goes, but then I didn't stand up for myself any other way. So fast forward, I'd worked for several trapeze companies. I worked for several circus programs. I worked for SeaWorld. I worked for Disney. I worked for um, Universal. I did a little bit of everything. and I just wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. So I ended up in this, this big relationship, and this is when everything went downhill. So I was in a relationship for just about three years, and then Hurricane Irma hit. And right before Hurricane Irma hit, I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be in this. So I stayed at my apartment, my partner in my apartment, and they stayed with their parents. And they were like, well, why aren't you going to stay with us? And I was like, because I don't want to be with you anymore. And Mm -hmm. it was a very angry point in my life. It was just, it got to the point where I realized that I was working multiple jobs as a server, as a bartender. I wasn't performing as much. I had my own circus program that I wasn't doing anything with. I wasn't teaching. I wasn't training myself. If I was teaching, I was teaching routines for people to go compete and they would win awards and that mm-hmm. didn't do anything for me. And right. that's not that's not like a what's in it for me situation. It's more of a, okay, well, I have all this, this sh- like they're getting all the credit for everything and I'm happy to teach them. I'm happy to see them grow, but I started this career to make myself happy. Mm-hmm. And that, that wasn't working. Right. So I just, it basically got to a boiling point where I was just like, I'm done. And I ended the relationship, which did not go well. It was a <laughs> lot of thinking about things. And it just, I realized that I was in a very toxic place. I was in a very toxic relationship. And I had given up so much of what makes me, me. Mm-hmm. And I, could, I couldn't do it anymore. I had this conversation with my best friend where I sat down and I was just like, this relationship could work. I could be happy for the rest of my life, but I have to give up everything that makes me to be that way. It was perfect on paper, but I didn't like what I was reading. Yeah. It was hard. And I would, I would think that, you know, you could tell yourself you could be happy for the rest of your life for a while, but you can only do, I'm not really being me for so long. I mean, it, it was at the point where I would have to give up circus Not because they asked me to. They never asked me to do any of this. It was just a, it wasn't going to work. 
Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to be able to sustain myself financially. I wasn't going to be able to live where they wanted to live. I wasn't going to be able to stay and have the relationships I needed to. Um, I had cut out several friends because of arguments that had happened because of the relationship. And they were mentally and emotionally abusive. Mm-hmm. Not in a way that was... This is the hard part to talk about because A, it's abuse. And B, no one ever wants to admit that they allowed themselves to be in a situation where somebody could do that. Sure. Um, and no pressure to go anywhere you don't feel comfortable going here. Oh, I'm an open book. I have a whole website talking about it. We should, right. we should be fine. Basically, it got to the point where I realized I wasn't allowed to be myself in this relationship. I had to be this cookie cutter, perfect representation of what they wanted. Mm-hmm. I wasn't comfortable with that. As you can see, I have very long purple hair at this Mm -hmm. current moment in time. In the relationship, I didn't. I had to keep my hair short. I had to keep it a regular style. I had to dress like a guy. Um, I had to be masculine because that's what they wanted. And Mm -hmm. there there were conversations where, like, we weren't going to be intimate because I wasn't sexually appealing, being the way I was. I gained weight, and there were comments about how I was fat. Um, And it was, like, the, the one that basically set everything off for me as we went to a wedding for one of their best friends um and i had been injured from that's just a track record in my life i had an injury i was working three jobs to try and like save money and get where i needed to be because minimum wage as a food service person in florida is miserable it was like five dollars when i was there i'm sure So, so i was working that it was you know right before the hurricane so there was like not a lot of like, it was our slow season, and then we got hit with the hurricane, which was even worse. Um, but we went to the wedding, and I got all dressed up and came out, and my first thought was, you look really good. I don't get to see you dressed up often. And their first thing is, you need to do something about that stomach. Whew. And I was just like, no, I'm done. I'm done. And mm-hmm. we went to the wedding, and my favorite thing of all time in the wedding is watching the groom or whoever is at the altar see... Mm-hmm. For the first time, their bridegroom, whatever, come in and just watch the the happiness fill up in their face. So I did that. I, I looked at the groom, I looked at the bride, and I looked back at my partner, and I was just like, hmm, happy. And then my partner goes, what are you looking at? And I was like, okay, so this really is done. We really are. There's like no... Yeah. It just... And I don't want to make them sound like a terrible person. By no means am I trying to like diminish what happened in my relationship but at the same time it does me no good to wish ill on them Mm -hmm. it does me it does nothing for me I can't heal I can't move past that I can't do anything to allow myself to grow if I'm constantly like I hate them so it doesn't it doesn't work for me but it was it was rough and I moved out and this is when it just like I went I left for an audition for Disney and got into a car accident Ooh. And um, I was fine. I had to climb out the window, but I Ooh. there was no physical pain or anything. The the whole force, they were like, how are you doing this? And I'm like, I'm in the circus. It's fine. So I crawled <laughs> out of the window. We thought the car was going to be replaced. They ended up deeming it totaled. Mm-hmm. So, and I, kids get gap insurance, just throwing that one out there, did not have gap insurance. So I had something left over on it. And I was like, whatever, I'm just not going to pay my car until I get the settlement in and then I'll pay everything excuse me and we'll be fine so i did all that i went to get a new car i got the new car set up they ended up the day they called to verify my job my job laid us all off 
because it closed. So they did not have proof of income for me because my job was closed. Oh. Meanwhile, meanwhile, I had already gone and gotten another job because I was planning on leaving this job. So I had all the papers saying, this is when I start. This is how much I'm going to be making everything. Well, they didn't call me to tell me that my job denied them. The guy that I was talking to didn't relay the information. So I got a phone call from my ex saying that the police were at my door. I was wanted for Grand Theft Auto. <gasps> yeah. So I was like, I'm sorry, one more time. <laughs> Mind you, this was Halloween. So this was Halloween. I am wearing like half Egyptian makeup, half sugar skull makeup, like fake eyelashes. I'm done up. And I was just like, can I bring it to you in the morning? And they were like, why? I was like, because if I go to prison right now, I'm wearing eyelashes. Right. Like, let's just leave that alone. So I went out for Halloween with my friends, and I had a grand old time that I don't fully remember for obvious reasons. Um, and I called my mom, and I was like, I don't know what to do. This is what's going on. She's like, you're trying really hard not to cry. I was like, it took me two hours to put this on, and I have fake eyelashes on. You are damn right I'm not crying. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> hello? So I go, I drop the car off. And they're like, we're sorry to see it like this. I was like, are you? Are you sorry to see it like this? Like, you put an arrest warrant out for me for Grand Theft Auto. Like, come on. So come to find out that they were just bluffing. Like, they had the police officer show up. They couldn't charge me with anything because technically the car was mine because of, like, paperwork issues. So it would have been more damage than not. But they were using it to scare the crap out of me. And uh, success. So then I turn that one in. I get a phone call from my my car dealership or the my original car that was totaled um they're like yeah you owe us money on this i was like well i paid off with the settlement they're like no the settlement doesn't count towards your payments so basically i had just paid twelve hundred dollars or twelve thousand dollars off on this car but because it doesn't count towards my monthly payments i had three months of no Uh. nothing so my car was already at 90 days over so that credit tanked all this stuff tanked i went to get another car Mind you, at this point, I'm working in Winter Park. I'm not living at my apartment for obvious reasons. So I'm couch surfing. I'm like living on my friend's couches. Just whatever's in my car is whatever's in my car. Um, I go find a new car, put the thousand dollars down, work everything off. They call me, they email me on Christmas Day to tell me that my loan was denied and I need to bring the car back. Oh my. So I'm furious and I call the, I call the loan people and I'm like, hey, what the hell is going on like why was this denied i did everything they said what's going on and they said oh we had to resubmit paperwork and we they never sent it back to us so i show up at the dealership and i was like whose fault is this and they're like well there was a gap in the paperwork but you didn't do this and i was like no 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 no. i have phone confirmation i have document confirmation everything i did was submitted you didn't submit things on time so i just left the, they're like well you can either do this i was like no you can have the car I just left it, got all my money back, and will never, ever, ever shop at that store mm-hmm. again. Anytime my friends are like, what do you think of this dealership? And I'm like, run. Um, so it was just very not good. So now I'm still working at Winter Park, crashing on my friend's couch uh, over by UCF, which is 14 miles from my job. So I was riding a bike 14 miles each way to oh get boy. to and from work. I know. It's a very long story, obviously. <laughs> so, But a lot happens in like a year and a half. So it gets to, this is Christmas, so from Chris, Christmas Day to March, like mid-March, 
I finally call my, I'm doing this every day. I'm opening and closing. I'm, uh, I was a key. So I was like a shift lead, not quite a manager, but mm-hmm. I was doing all of the manager things. And I was making $11 an hour, which is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was literally, uh, mind you, I'm still paying rent with my ex and I, because I wasn't, I wasn't going to screw things up further. Like, I'm not going to do that. It's fine. So I end up, I'm not making enough money to do anything. I can't live somewhere else. I can't pay to do anything else. I can't save it up to get a car. Like, I'm trying to figure this all out. Dealing with credit collectors that, like, your car is doing these things. I was like, what car? Take it from me. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. It's already gone. So it, it just got to a point where in March I called my mom and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I went to my boss and I was like, if I don't get more money for the position I'm doing, I can't stay here. And he just looks at me and he goes, well, good luck to you. So, wow. they, which I'm not saying anything mean about him. They were brilliant people. Um, they, they were very, very kind and they were doing what was best for their business. It was just, it hurt. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, I've done, I've been here since y'all opened like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. So needless to say their business isn't there anymore, but, uh, it just, it was a very crappy situation. And I called my mom and I'm just like, I don't know what to do. And so they're like, you're coming home. Like you're going to move home with us for a little bit, which I'm not trying to sound ungrateful because I'm so thankful that my family let me come stay with them. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful that I had that ability, but I was a 27 year old adult moving back into mm-hmm. my family's home was hard. Sure. It was very, very difficult given my sister is 10 years younger than me and she was at home and she and I did not have a very strong relationship because I left for college when she was seven. Right. So she's my best friend now. Like, we got super close when I was at home, but I was there. So fast forward, we're in July now. I fly out to California for a convention for um, Sensi, which is a company I do stuff with. And I was out here and I was like, no, this is this is it. This is where I need to be. And I came home and I just worked. And I, I got lucky because the job that I got laid off from, they moved my general manager to the location where my parents live. So I called her and ended up working there for a few months. Mm-hmm. Like, they... Technically, they hadn't terminated any of us. We were still in the fa- in the, the paperwork. We could be rehired. Perfect. So I ended up working there, saving everything up. And then New Year's Day, we rented a car, packed everything. Or New Year's Eve, we packed everything in the car. And I left New Year's Day for California. And Wow. That is how I got out to where I am. I had nothing. The only thing I knew is when I came out here in July, I met... Um, Someone at a bar, and she was like, my roommates are moving out in January, and I don't know what I'm doing. So I took over Mm -hmm. part of her lease. So the only thing I knew is where I was going to live when I came to California. And I just, I had to start over. So what's happened since you got there? Um, It has not been as easy as we thought it was going to be, but I I wouldn't trade it for the world. So I moved out here. I had... When I left for California, I had $1,000 in my bank account. That's all I had. Um, I already paid rent for what I was going to be out here, so that didn't count. But I had $1,000 to get out here, get situated, and make things happen. So I moved out here. It took me just about a month to get a job, just serving. And I literally just bounced from job to job to job until I found something that worked. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was able to make decent money. I wasn't, because of everything I've gone through, because of all that, I was like, I'm not... I'm not going to tolerate this. I'm not going to work for somewhere that I don't feel appreciated. I'm not doing it again. Mm -hmm. I moved from coast to coast where no one knew me. Well, that's not fair because I have a bunch of friends from college who live out here. But I just, 
I had to start over. I mm-hmm. couldn't, I couldn't do it. So I did. Um, and then I ended up, things were going better. I started my website. Um, I started doing this like blogging thing just for me where each week I was going to write about something different and, and challenge myself to something different so that in a year's time I could be a better version of myself than I was. And my friends really liked it and they were like, no, you should share that. So my website was born and that's where I do it. It's like a blog series that I do that called 52 and you, um, for 52 weeks of the year, 52 challenges. I'm a little behind right now cause you know, quarantine, but, uh, <laughs> where I, that's this week's project, but that's just where it came from. And I was going to move out here, get everything situated financially. And then I was going to start training circus again. Mm-hmm. Come January of this year, I have a herniated disc, so I'm unable to, um, Things are getting better, but it's a really severe herniated disc. It's 18 millimeters. So that's huge. That's pretty big. Yeah. So for people who don't speak that, an average herniated disc that can cause serious pain and mobility issues is between two and four millimeters. And I'm at 18. Oh, yeah. So they are very confused as to how I'm walking, how I have as much mobility as I do. Like they're completely baffled. They think that the only reason I'm able to function the way I do is because of circus, mm-hmm. because my body is used to high pain thresholds and being flexible and things like that. Um, but I'm just kind of taking this time. I started my website. I started a podcast. I'm going to be starting a YouTube. It just kind of got to the point where I was like, I have a story. Who needs to hear it? Mm-hmm. And then I went from there. So that's where I am. I'm, I'm so happy. I'm in a much better relationship now. Um, it will be one year in April, and I'm thrilled. Uh, we're going to be moving to San Diego together. And there's a San Diego circus school there that I plan on training for when my spine allows it. But I just, if I were to look back two years ago and have somebody be like, hey, your life is about to end as you know it but it's okay. You're going to start over. I'd be like, okay, whatever. You're being dramatic. But now it's one of those things where like, I talk about it casually. And then people are like, I'm sorry, you did what? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's my full story, I guess. Wow. So I'm curious to know how it is that you ended up being interested in circus in the first place. Oh, that's easy. So <laughs> that <laughs> that's easy compared to everything else. So Back when I was little, and by little I mean like 13, Mm -hmm. um, Cirque du Soleil used to play their shows on Bravo before it was like just white women complaining. Um, (laughs) They just, what up Real Housewives? So they they would play like Alegria, Corteo, um, Vatikai. They would play these shows over and over and Mm -hmm. I watched Alegria. I remember it exactly. Elena Lev did Hula Hoop Contortion. And I watched it, and one day I was like, I'm going to do that when I grow up. And my mom was like, yeah, okay. And then I went to Florida State University, which is famous for having a circus uh, problem. Same thing, really. They have a circus (laughs) program. (laughs) Same thing. It's an addictive thing. It's like, ooh. So I I was like, no, I'm really going to do that. I taught myself to juggle. Um, I went to Florida State. I got into the I I got accepted to the school and was like I'm gonna be fine and I started doing circus stuff I was like this is what I want to do and then I went to the theater school and they're like no you haven't been accepted to the major yet and I was like oh and so I applied and got accepted and they were like that worked out I was like apparently Mm -hmm. which at the time I didn't think anything of and then I found out that they only accepted 80 of us so out of my entire year that started there were only 80 of us that got in and I'm just like last minute filling it out not thinking anything of it I was like yay me um wow 
yeah, what up? So I just, I knew that was what I was going to do. I tailored my entire collegiate experience towards it. So I did costume design. I did, I did set development. I did acting. I did physical performance because we have to for the major. But costume was my main focus. Costume, makeup, and special effects. And then I did circus stuff. I did circus for two years at FSU. Um, and then during the summers, I went to a summer camp and taught what I learned at FSU and then ended up learning everything else. It was one of those like, you can do this. I will teach you how to do this if you teach me how to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's how I learned everything. So I started as a bike for five, which is like I ride a bike and there's four people climbing on me and doing acrobatics while I'm riding the bike. And then I went to a camp and learned how to do flying trapeze and silks and pretty much everything. Like, it's at the point now where if it's a circus act, I've probably done it. Like okay. I've done, but I've been doing circus since I was on my own since I was 16. I've been doing aerials since I was 18. So it's been a very long time of me doing these things, teaching them and just kind of like picking it up as I go. Mm -hmm. um, choreography is definitely my strong suit. I prefer to choreograph. Uh, and now it's just at the point where I want to train myself. Like I can teach the skills. I have the training I've worked with. Um, I worked with a trapeze school that was run by the Lanuba performers from Cirque du Soleil. So like I have tons of professional accolades. I, this isn't just some kid that like randomly learned how to do these things. Like I'm not mm -hmm. encouraging anyone to go do anything unsafe and train in unsafe conditions. I've been very fortunate that I was in an area full of professionals in the industry and I was able to learn from them and begin teaching under their supervision. Mm -hmm. So just anyone who wants to do these things, do it correctly. I, oh, really do it correctly. Um, and that's just how circus started for me I guess I just knew that I didn't want to be an actor on stage mm -hmm. I want I wanted to be more and I've actually had the I met Elena Lev for one of my birthdays one year we went to see a circus show and she was performing in it and I got to talk to her about how she's my like inspiration for doing circus she was my um the first person that I wanted to be like she looked over a few of my performance pictures and videos and she's like you're good you you'll be good you just got to keep training so that was a very full circle moment for me that was really awesome that's fantastic Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it's it's not the kind of thing that most people even think about doing as a career move. So how do you, I mean, aside from the fact that you obviously went to the right school, how do, you, how do you make this, how do you make it work? Being a circus performer? Yeah. Well, currently I don't. Well, um, right. Because, you know, spine. But there's tons of things you can do outside of that. So it's really... I think it's the same as any artist. You have to really want to do it. You have to have the passion for it. When we were in school, um, Fallon is the name of one of the, the stages that we have, and it's named after a person. And we got to meet Mr. Fallon, and he was fantastic. He is, um, since then, he has passed away, but he was a brilliant man. And one of the things he always told us when he came in, he's like, and it's, it's, he said it to every year that he ever met, he's like, you have to have a fire in your belly. Mm -hmm. for art for performance you just you have to have a fire in your belly and I think that's so true of anything and that's true of any artist and that's just how it was with circus like this is a hard industry it's you can get a good gig and you can make good money but for example all of the Cirque performers right now they're not working right because of the virus none of them are working and it's not a we're not working and we'll have work our jobs when we get back it's like all the shows are closed right now mm -hmm. and when it's time to do another show they're going to have to recast, retrain, redo everything. I have tons, tons of friends in the circus industry. And I, 
tons of them and all of them are like yeah we all lost our jobs right now mm-hmm. and some people are mad at Cirque for it and other companies I mean but you got things like you Ringling that closed and I watched the final performance because they live streamed it and I just cried because this is like generations of people families that have performed in the circus for so long that they have nothing it's gone mm-hmm. and they um you know watching it they, they were all crying and like holding each other and people were like, this is so unprofessional. I was like, some of these families are fifth generation Ringling Circus performers. What do you mean that they're being unprofessional? Their entire livelihood just came to a crashing halt. Right. But but you have to you have to move past that. So there's tons of performers that I know from that. One of them was a Ringling performer. She now owns her own dance studio and she teaches dance to, to, to youth. Like there's so many things you can do in circus. You just have to know where to look. You can go into stunts. There's a lot of people in stunts. Um, there's a lot of music videos that use it. You can do video performances. You can be a gig performer where you work events. Like some people can make a living just off of that. But circus is not cheap to mm-hmm. hire. Like you could make good money when you do it, but your insurance is expensive because you have to have health insurance, equipment insurance, and performer insurance. Um, equipment's not not cheap. I have a set of straps that cost me almost a thousand dollars, and that's. That's just with the, the hooks and everything. That's not counting studio time. That's not counting training, upkeep, anything. Like, it's not a cheap industry, but I love it, and I can't see myself doing anything else. Then you're in the right spot. Pretty much. Yeah. Was it tough to break into it originally, or did the fact that you went to the right school really kind of pave the way for that? Um, to start doing circus, Yes. To get into the industry after I started doing it, I honestly just straight up dumb luck and annoyance. And <laughs> let, let me clarify. It was a, I found every single circus program in the area and I emailed all of them once every three months. I was just like, hi, this is my name. This is what I do. Do you have any openings? Hi, this is my name. This is what I do. Do you have any openings? And eventually, after like a year, I got some messages back. They were like, oh, we're not hiring you this time. You know, you're welcome to come take classes and pay. And I was like, no, I don't want to pay you. I want to work. I I had one studio that I messaged and was just like, this is what I do. I want to do this. They're like, cool, we need somebody. And I came in and just worked. It worked fine. And then once I had that job, it just like, oh, you worked with this person? Oh, you worked with this person? Because I would fill in. So, like, I would Mm -hmm. work at this studio, and then they're like, hey, this person, they don't have a, they need a sub for this class. Can you go teach for them? And then I would go teach for them, and then they would call me to pick up other subs, and then eventually they hired me. And it's, it was literally just like a, think of, like, a substitute teacher working somewhere long enough that eventually they just hired them. Right. It's basically what it was, but it was like, all right, it's the third Friday of the month. Let's just start emailing everybody. Like, that's basically mm-hmm. how I did everything to get my jobs. My summer camp was complete dumb luck. I literally was like, I don't want to go home for three months. I mm-hmm. don't want to do it. So I applied to everything. I applied to 32 summer camps. And this is the first one that called me and first one that hired me. And I was like, done. This is what I'm doing. We're good to go. And that's just, yeah. So it was a lot of, it was hard to get started to learn the stuff. It was a lot of me falling on my face literally because it's hard not to do aerials and just like eat it it's very difficult <laughs> like <laughs> people ask me all the time especially when i did tight wire they're like how do you learn not to fall i'm like you fall once you learn right quick not mm-hmm. to do it again like you learn you hit that mat once face down and you're just like mm, 
this is not something I enjoy. <laughs> like, no. So. Yeah. Just if, if you're passionate about something and you want to be successful with it, be good at what you do. Constantly train and just like persevere to the point of annoyance. Like be, don't, don't be somebody that they hate. Like be polite, do all those mm-hmm. things that you have to do, but you, ooh, they need to know who you are. And it was at the point where they're like, oh, it's Ryan again. And then eventually they offered me a job. So like it paid, it paid off. Do you think that your experience with that kind of thing, with, with just, you know, raw perseverance, persistence, determination, did that help when you made this giant cross country move? Oh, 100%. Because I straight up was just like, literally New Year's Eve, I was packing everything into the car. I came in for the ball drop. I made my sister a drink. I had a slice of pizza. We cheered those two things. And then I got in the car and my family was like, you're leaving for good. And I was like, okay. And it took me like a month before I got to California. Like I was in California. I did the drive in three and a half days, Mm -hmm. um, which is a lot for anyone who doesn't know. It was a... um, 2446 mile drive and i did it in i did it in three and a half days (laughs) it's fine (laughs) who needs sleep right so i just like (laughs) mind you i'm doing this like january 1st through 3rd so there was parts where i was like it's really hot in mississippi and then i got into arizona and i was like why is it snowing like it was it was Mm -hmm. weird um beautiful if you ever have a chance to drive cross country do it but it took me almost a month like it was it was like February-ish before I was like, oh, I live in California now. <laughs> like, and I had my, my one year was in January and everybody's like, what are you doing today? It's your one year. I was like, for what? Like, it just didn't. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think it's just the fact that I've been conditioned isn't the right word, but I've taught myself. I've been in situations that have taught me. I've allowed myself to learn that like, change is good change is necessary and there's nothing wrong with seeing a situation and going "Mm, no and then just constantly pushing for something better to happen like we're about to move to san diego and my partner has never moved away from from family so like this is the first move out of the area that they've known and we're going to move down there and there's that panic of well what are we going to do how are we going to afford this like what if things are bad and i'm like then they get better like if, if tough, if times are hard for a month, two months, three months, while we're figuring out the financial situation, the figuring out the living situation, whatever, the end game of having our own life together and being able to start everything is beautiful to me. And I think that's part of what got me through everything and got me to where I need to be. It's just the fact that like, I can see it. It's so tiny. I got to squint. I got to put my hands up to block the light and everything, but I can see what I want and I I will be damned if I let anything stop me from doing like if i fail miserably and everything that's fine but nobody's gonna remember me for failing they're gonna remember me for the crazy things that i was going for that's all i care about that's beautiful thanks and and i feel like you know then it gets better you know what if what if we fail then it gets better i I feel like it's march 28th so we're still sort of at the beginning of this whole crazy coronavirus thing with no idea where it'll take us but i I feel like that statement really applies probably to a lot of us as we're sitting here saying, what what happens while the world is changing around us? You know, well, it may not look the same when we get to go back outside of our houses. It's not going to look the same. And that's the exciting part. 
So I'm thrilled. And so this is a, this is a terrible thing to say because by no means am I thankful that this virus is happening. Right. Because like pandemic, terrible, mm-hmm. all the lives lost, all the things. But it is incredibly beautiful to me to see the entire system crumble. And let me tell you why before I sound crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, we're at that part, but whatever. <laughs> because I'm a huge fan that you cannot go back to normal. There is no such, like, once things happen, there is no let's return to normal. And I keep seeing people be like, oh, things will go back to normal. No, they won't. Mm-mm. They die and they get reburned. And the, the, the best analogy I can think of, and this is in between my whole shenanigans of being home, couch surfing, homeless, whatever you want to call it, and moving back and forth, I went into high schools and spoke to high schoolers um, about a few things. And it was just like, a, my life is in shambles. Let me teach you. Mm-hmm. what I've learned from this experience. And I always mention fire. When a forest burns down, it doesn't stay burnt down. Everything grows back brand new. Everything is different. It uses the destruction to push itself forward. It uses all of the nutrients, everything that was in there. It breaks them all down and starts something new. And that is where we are right now. This is a beautiful time for artists. This is a beautiful time for everyone in general because you're stuck with yourself which sounds terrible. Introverts everywhere are like, yay. But everyone else is like <laughs> freaking out. Um, it is, it's a chance for you to really sit there and go, this is the life I was living. What about it did I like? What about did I not like? And what can I do to change it? Half of us are out of work right now. Mm-hmm. So are you going to go back to the job that you hated? Or are you going to take this time to change and figure out what you want to do and go for something else? Um, there's Masterclass. There's Skillshare. All these companies and websites, they're putting out content for people to learn and educate themselves. You're at home for, I've been home since January 12th. So what about it? But people are home for so long and you have this opportunity to learn new things, learn new languages, learn new opportunities, figure out what you want to do. You're alone with yourself. There's no facade. Mm-hmm. You can't fake it because you're not around these people for you to fake it anymore. You are you. What do you want to do? My Facebook friends list? clearing it out adding new people getting rid of ugly ones and i don't mean ugly in physical looks i mean mm-hmm. ugly is in like some of the things that are happening some of the things people are saying and like that's ugly bye and i don't need that anymore I'm, I'm basically letting this virus kill all of the things that i don't need in my life and i know that that's taking a very dark subject and being like i'm happy about it but in all honesty i didn't get where i am by being like life sucks and that's okay like no i sat there and i was like this needs to die so i can start over and that's what this time period is let this isolation whatever be this beautiful destruction that you come back from even stronger than you were that's i'm listening to you and i'm thinking of something that i've said to a couple people in the last couple days i hadn't thought about it in in forest fire terms but i was thinking more you know when when the caterpillar goes into the cocoon it it basically is reduced to goo there's mm-hmm. there's basically nothing left once it's in that cocoon that even vaguely resembles a caterpillar but it still remembers but it's still there and it still remembers and i just was reading the other day that there's the i'm probably going to botch this so anybody who's a you know biologist or a zoologist please forgive me but but apparently there is something called imaginal cells that are what sparks the whole process of the transformation into the butterfly and I love that name I I can't I have no idea why they're called imaginal cells but to me it makes me think of imagination like it's imagining something new so I could be 
completely wrong about where that comes from. But, it, you know, I keep thinking about that and I've sort of been thinking we're in the cocoon, but it's the world around us that is being reduced to goo and we don't know what it's going to look like when we go back outside. I think it's also true of us individually to a certain extent, but I think it's going to be more we walk outside and go, what's left, you know, or what's here to, to rebuild or build from or what can we do? So it's kind of... I don't know. It's it's interesting to me to think of it in your forest fire terms too. It's a similar metaphor, not not quite the same, but I do think you you know if you can't find the opportunity in the crisis, it's probably going to hit you a whole lot harder than it will if you can find the way to say, okay, everything is different now than it was two weeks ago, three weeks ago, which feels like an alien universe to me at this point well, you know you, we're living but, through several decades you know like the yeah. 1970s 1980s 1990 2020s march mm-hmm. it's a lot it's a lot there mm-hmm. it's a very long time to live in march has been its own decade yes <laughs> i don't care what anyone says at least we, we thought january was long <sighs> yeah Yeah, so I think that, you know, it can be easy to say, find the opportunity in the crisis as a dismissive, I don't want to deal with your problem thing. But there's also wisdom to it. You know, don't intend to be dismissive here. It's more, your odds are really good. Something significant about your life is going to be different when you come out of this. So, so yeah, you've got to figure out what you can do differently, what you want to do differently, what what to make out of this that's going to work. And I think a good thing to remember too is the frame of how you say it. You said, um, I don't want to deal with this right now. And there's, there is truth to that. There are some people who are like, ah, I don't want to deal with this, but you can't have that mentality when you're clearing your life out, when you're starting things over, it shouldn't be, I don't want to deal with this. It should be, does this suit the life that I see? Does this, is this conducive to what I want to do? Um, and another thing you, you said, you're like, when we go outside, everybody's going to be like, well, what's left? I hate that mentality mm-hmm. because if you're looking for what's left, that means you're still holding on to what you had previously. Right. You need to be looking at it from a, okay, so now what? It's not a what's left, not what can I cling to? What can I hold on to? Cause this is what I've always known. It's a coming out and being like, cool. So now what? And then going from there. And that's, that's really going to change the difference. Cause that's, you know, as we've heard over and over in my story, that's basically what I did. I literally was just like, I'm at this point. Now what? I'm at this point. Now what? And it's, um, it goes back to, what was it? Rudolph, the, the old cart- claymation cartoon where mm-hmm. they had the, the old wizard guy. Uh, it might've been Jack Frost. It was the put one foot in front of the other. And I go mm-hmm. walking out the door, like that whole song. And I know that's like a little childhood thing to hold to, but it's literally just like one step forward. And anyone who's like, well, what if I take a step forward and I fall down and then I'm one step back? Okay, well, two steps forward and one step back is still one step forward. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're not going to get anywhere if you stay where you are. And there's a, a thing that mathematicians use where it's like um, 365 times zero for 365 days with zero effort is 365, whereas 365 0.5 is still more it's like 3.375 or whatever it's math is not my strong suit i went to school for theater we count to eight and start over 16 <laughs> if we're feeling frisky like it's fine um like calm down but so there, it's just minimal minimal effort it change mm-hmm. is going to create a ginormous difference at the, at the end of time and it's just 
people that are scared to do things. I get it. If you're scared to, to make a change and you're listening, reach out. I'll give you my contact information at the end. I clearly have no issues talking. So like, <laughs> and you know, I share my story. It's like my whole website is literally called Redhead Runaway, which is what I did. I literally looked at everything and went, mm, that's not for me and just ran from it. Mm-hmm. And that's become the joke. It's just like, I'm this runaway. I ran away and joined the circus. My mom likes to tell people that her eldest went to clown college, which I think is insulting because clowns actually have to have a license. Like, there's real work behind it. I know you're mm-hmm. making fun of me, but let's not demean them. Like, right. Uh, it's just, there's so, there's so much outside of this what if bubble that people live in that I'm just like, want to shake people and make it happen especially right now because everybody is rightfully so they're not handling things super well they're depressed they're worried they're like well what do i do i want to just be in bed for a day okay then be in bed for a day mm-hmm. then what i don't know you tell me and that's the thing like it's okay to not be productive right now if you need a day or two to sit down that's fine i took three days where i didn't even answer my phone i played a video game for like three days on my phone and then i was like mm, i have a podcast this morning i need to get up and function like, <laughs> allow yourself that time to just dwell in the death air quotes for those that can't hear it of the current life you have take a, a little bit of time to heal and then get up and go now what yeah i think there are two things that are striking me as I'm listening to you. One is that I'm insane. Uh, no, um, <laughs> she says hitting a new. Um, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I mean, because I feel like you have a perspective that most people don't have, which, is, have which is one of those. Don't right. Have. Which is one of the things that I'm thinking of, which is, you know, like we, we get so into and, and part of this is, a big part of this is so cultural, you know, you get up every day, you go to work, you do what you're supposed to do at work, you collect your paycheck, you go home, lather, rinse, repeat, until yeah, you I'm retire. Meant to do so much more than right. make, make money and die. Right. And I think that a lot of us are so hypnotized by that cycle, because that's what we've been told we're supposed to do. That's, you know, the goal is to somehow be better off than your parents were, which was a pipe dream before all this happened. It may be even more of a pipe dream now, but that also depends on how you're defining better off. Um, My definition is real weird. We'll get to that. Yeah. I mean, I think most people define it financially, which is one way to define it, but that's not how you have to. Yeah. I'm not surprised that you don't, but, Uh but I feel like that's part of it. It's kind of like, this is breaking that, that trance, the hypnosis around it. And so people are just kind of sitting here going, I don't know how to do anything else. I was always told this was all there was. And now I don't know what to do. And the other part is, are you scared to do it? Well, and it could be both. But the other thing that I'm thinking that goes along with that is that it is this, there is this grief that has to happen when you realize that that thing that you had isn't going to be there anymore. Even if it's not the thing you wanted, you may still have to grieve the fact that everything's different. It's all in one way or another, intentionally or unintentionally, it's, it's fallen apart. It's not working. You're not going to be doing that anymore. And so you got to kind of deal with that too, either before or as you're figuring out what's next. So I don't, 
I don't know. I mean, it sounds like in your case, you were pretty darn sure it was time to just up, pack the car, drive across the country. That's it. So well, I don't know way, if you went you through. See, how long can a dog get beat with a newspaper before he bites back? Right. So I don't know, you know, to what extent you actually felt like you needed to grieve that. I don't know if that was really a part oh, of your process. Oh, there was a very long grieving process, yeah. actually. Um, so the relationship ended at the end of August. And prior to me making the decision to end it, there was a good month or two of me not sleeping, of me calling my friends, of me, I part, I was dying. And mm-hmm. um, that sounds dramatic, but it's not like if you asked any of my friends, if you ask any of my students, they all knew something was wrong. I mm-hmm. wasn't me. I right. wasn't being myself. And a lot of this came from plot twist. When I, when the relationship ended, I came to the conclusion that I'm gender fluid. Mm-hmm. I didn't fit in the binary. Part of the reason the relationship wasn't working for me is because I was expected to present and be masculine, mm-hmm. but I wasn't. Right. Like it it was I was acting. I was acting a specific way rather than being myself. Like I have long hair now. I wear makeup. I do all these different things. I do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And it's not associated with are you associated with are you a boy or are you a girl? It's just well right. I'm me. And like that that was a coming to terms thing. So I think a lot of the the death in the morning for me was I said goodbye to myself. I mean, I changed my name. So I, I, I changed my name. I used my screen name now. Like I had all this different stuff. So it very much was a, the person that I was in that relationship is dead. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't do any of that anymore. And it took from, I want to say like two months to come to terms with like, I need to leave this. And then it was like a, me sleeping on my friend's couch, crying because I was like, I can't believe I did this. There was there was one point. So the first night that I had to ride the bike home, the 14-mile bike track, it was raining in the middle of winter in Florida. And it was cold for Florida. It mm-hmm. was like it was like in the, the mid-30s, low 40s, but it was raining on top of it. So it did not feel nice. Right. I had gloves and everything, and I stopped, and I called um, one of my friends, and I'm just bawling. And they're like, well, what's wrong? And I was like, I did it. And they're like, what are you talking about? I was like, I did it. I did it. Everything crashed around me, but I kept going. I, I'm riding a bike to a place to live and I'm out of this situation that I was in. And that's fantastic. And they were like, so you're happy? (laughs) Like they were very confused. I was thrilled because it was at the point where like, I had stepped away from all of this. It was all dead. I it, that I think for me it was less of a like let me be miserable and grieve and more of just like a it was this complete moment of life sucks and you did it. Mm-hmm. So it that's where that came from. So when I moved cross country to California, it was literally just like a the tail end of that transformation. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't this huge grieving process that had to happen when I moved here because that, that I will say when I moved here it was hard. Because I was working and doing everything and I felt like I moved out here and I was wasting my time. Mm. But I also had to remember that for the past year and a half, I had terrible credit, no money, was couch surfing, no car. So I was rebuilding all Like I wasn't starting from zero and going up. I was starting from negative. And I had to get Mm -hmm. to zero first and then get into the growth. Like we have a car now. Like there's a car that we have and I have a place to live and all these things. And that was successful for me. 
my idea of success is not being better financially and living in a huge house. Like I'm a tiny home person. Mm -hmm. I just need what I need. Um, For me, I've always, since I was little, I don't care if I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I don't want to be. I don't, I would like to make money because I want to experience things, but I don't need it. Mm -hmm. Um, If I have a place to live, whether it's a roof over my head, a room in someone else's place, whatever, where I'm with my partner and every day I get to wake up next to them and experience life with them, that's all I need. I just want to create. I want to share. um, And I want to not necessarily like I don't live to help other people, but I'm fully aware that everyone has a purpose in life and I'm a storyteller. That is my job. That's just what I'm supposed to do, whether it's me coaching, teaching, whatever. I'm a storyteller. Um, And whether it's the person I'm directly talking to that needs to hear my story or someone that they come in contact with, much like the virus, that needs to hear (laughs) their story. I am not in control of what that does. And I I like fire, I guess, because I always talk about a match. And when you light a match, it either brings life or, or light or start something on fire. And the two things I tell people is that every day you need to wake up so passionate about what you do that the fire of your passion consumes you and it either lights the darkness and other people that are lost in the dark see a light and they know that they can keep going or you light a fire so hard that it ignites the people around you that fires have gone out and it keeps them going and whether that's I spark a fire with you or I spark a fire and the next person you come in contact with you relay that story and it sparks their fire Mm -hmm. whatever it is like Life sucks. It is painful. It is messy. It is hard. But that's not a reason to let yourself burn out. It's not a reason to stop telling your story because you're like, well, my story sucks. How can it possibly help someone? My story is terrible. I lost everything. I went through abuse. And that's not even some of it. I had abusive relationships before that. Mm -hmm. I'm just lucky, I guess. I have gone... (laughs) through so many different things and each time I tell the story because I need it just to fuel myself to keep going but then I'll always meet somebody who's like you said this and it made me realize this this and this about my life and that's not why I tell the story but let me tell you how freaking humbling it is to have somebody say that my life is now together because of what you said to me okay I just lost my car and broke up with my ex Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not that significant but it was all it took to turn their life around in that Money can't buy that. Yeah, and I think also we're all way more significant than we realize because we do have that ability to, you know, light that spark, say the right thing, be there in the right moment for somebody who needs to hear it. And we don't necessarily think much of it, but it makes a huge difference to that other person. And I think, I think you know, we don't, you don't want to run around like, you know, you're the savior of the world. No. But at the same time, you probably are the savior of more things than you realize. You don't hear about a lot of them because somebody's not telling you, you know, you may not see the results of it. But every once in a while, somebody, you know, I, I know in my own experience, somebody will just say something that clicks in my head the way nothing else has. That's exactly the thing I needed to hear in that moment. And it's just a throwaway comment on their part. And, and even if I do say something sometimes when it's like that, they'll say, but what did I say? I'm like, no, 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 no. It, it, you don't understand. This was what I needed to hear. And they'll just kind of look at you and go, oh, okay. But 
don't discount that kind of thing. It, I, I think that happens a whole lot more than we realize. And we just kind of go, yeah, I was just, you know, rambling, saying nothing. But, you know, the person, you know, 10 feet away at the grocery store overheard you and it made a difference. And you just don't know, it, it, you know, anything. One of the is best possible. analogies that I've ever heard is that we're all made of the same dust that makes stars. So are you going to be dust or are you going to shine? That's lovely. It's one of my favorite, favorite things. There's actually a song that has nothing to do with it, but I, I it, it has a reference where it's a, it's a love song um, called uh, Melt Into You by Sarah Hayes. Beautiful, beautiful song. Her acoustic version is my personal favorite. So YouTube it. She's great. But there's a line in it where she's talking about like melting into her lover. Like I just, I melt into you. The world stops and I melt into you. There's a line where she says, turn off the stars or they'll start to blind us. And that is literally just something that sticks with me. I know it's not how she intended it to be, mm-hmm. but it just, it literally just resonated with me so much because there's stars and living in Orange County near LA, people don't see them, but I'm from Florida where there were tons of them. So it's just this opportunity to, in Florida, we don't think anything of it because they're everywhere. But mm-hmm. I took my partner home to Florida and blew, blew his mind, looked up, couldn't handle yeah. how bright the stars were and i was just like huh so that's just that that it just mm-hmm. sits in the same thing are you going to be star dust or are you going to shine like what are you going to do because it's up to you no one can make that decision for you it's very true and, it's and real you... early for me to be inspirational <laughs> <laughs> it's like 10 a.m my time drinking on my iced coffee well and you said earlier you know do you not know what to do or are you afraid to do it and I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit more about that. Because I think sometimes it's a little bit of both. And sometimes it's it's one or the other. But Well, yeah. sure. So as we've established, my career came from dumb luck and tripping over my feet. Like straight up, just like... I sent everything out because... And, and uh, this is an easy one. Most people are like, well, what if they say no? Okay. So they said no, move on. Like, mm-hmm. and And a big thing to remember... When it comes to work and situations for yourself, most times no doesn't mean no. I don't want anyone from Me Too coming after me because that is a different situation. Mm -hmm. However, no doesn't always mean no. Sometimes it means not right now or not yet. And that's something you have to remember in work work situations, in personal development. It is a no now. Because three years ago if you told me no I wouldn't be where I am right now Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like you have to you have to say no right now adjust your plan and change it and and here's here's a big thing for people if your end goal is right here in front of you and somebody says no that doesn't stop your end goal that just stops that particular path that you're taking towards your end goal and then you just keep going in six months you can come back to it so sure there's this this sense of I don't know what to do anything literally anything someone's going to tell you no and then that's fine but you're going to learn what you have to do along the way by making mistakes we are not there's this um this arrogant sense in in human beings because i don't know exactly where all your audience is and the beauty of podcasts and the internet is that they can be literally anywhere mm-hmm. um as people We have this arrogant sense of, I cannot make mistakes. I just have to know these things and learn these things and be good. How the hell do you think you're going to learn it? Mm Because I learned how to walk on a tightrope by falling off of it. Mm -hmm. Like, my foot doesn't go there. That's air. 
Thank you. <laughs> like you have to, you have to learn that. Like people are scared of getting hurt. I'm a circus performer. The first time I fell off the tight wire, wasn't very high. It was like a 10, 12 foot up rope. Like it was not a big deal. I was doing a somersault. So I was sitting, going to roll and I missed my foot, fell off, hooked my arm and skinned my entire arm open. And I'm sitting on the ground crying hysterically. And everybody's oh. like, it's okay. It's not that bad. It was bad. It was very bad. There was blood everywhere. Um, but I was like sitting there like, it's not that big a deal. They're like, you'll do it again. I was like, I'm not mad that I'm hurt. I'm mad that I fucked the trick. Like I'm mad that I messed it up. And mm-hmm. they were just like, wait, what? I was like, I'm not getting hurt is part of the job. I'm a circus performer. The number of times that I've ripped my hands open, I've bruised myself. It's at the point where we call them spoils of war. And the mm-hmm. reason we call them spoils of war is because when I was teaching little kids, if they saw blood or any bruises, they would cry and freak out. So we would take pictures and put them on the wall. And it was like the trophies of war, the spoils mm-hmm. of war. Because if you change that mindset to I'm getting stronger, these are my battle wounds. I'm proud of these. The mindset changes. Mm-hmm. So these people take that take no i messed up no i don't know what to do i screwed this up this relationship didn't work out it failed for me okay well that's a spoil of war that's your battle wound so the next time you go into a relationship that made you who you are when a bone breaks it is stronger where it broke allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to break for god's sakes i'm on a podcast in a sweatshirt talking about how i lost everything (laughs) to start my life over and i'm not ashamed of any of it yeah so for those of you that are i don't know what to do that's not good enough i'm sorry and i know that sounds mean and it's 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 not me being mean and telling you that you're not worth anything it's me telling you that it is not acceptable for you to i don't know what to do okay so you're just gonna sit there and let somebody take care of you do anything i don't care if you if you make the biggest mistake of your life don't get arrested don't don't be like token told me it was okay i did not that is not what i said (laughs) but like anything is better than nothing done on the other side for those of you that are scared to do something why what are you scared of are they gonna laugh at you i'm a literal clown and i mean that in the sense of i've done circus performance i've done drag i've done all these other things there's there's nothing that you can laugh at me for that's genuinely going to make me go wow that hurts i mean it might hurt skin level and be like wow they were laughing at me for that but at the end of the day I don't know you. Mm-hmm. You don't pay my bills. Well, if you came to my show, you might have paid my bills. But um, I don't. I don't worry about other people's opinions of me because at the time, they didn't like this thing. Okay, well, why don't they like this thing? So what can I change to make this situation better? What can I remove from it? We, as people, specifically my generation and younger, are so obsessed with what people say, what they said on the internet, what they hold about me, what they think about me, you can remove that. Mm-hmm. If someone's arguing with you on, on Facebook, you can get to the point where you can turn the notifications off and just walk away. Because there's, there's this, this burn, this like itch of, well, they replied, so I have to reply. You can't fix stupid. You just can't. You can learn to be better. <laughs> But at the same time, there's a lesson between let me educate them and correct them and let me educate myself and understand that this is not conducive to the life I want. This is not doing anything but stressing me out. You got to walk away from it. There's friendships. There's relationships. There's people. There's jobs. There's tons of things in my life that were good for me on paper, but I didn't like the story. And Mm -hmm. I had to walk away from it. And I can't feel bad about that because you're 
ex that you broke up with, they're going to date someone else. Your friends that you walk away from, they're going to find other friends. Your job, they replaced you yesterday. Calm down. Like, well, not right now, but they're going to replace you. There's, mm-hmm. You cannot live your life to serve other people. Now, clarification on that. If your purpose is to serve other people through your actions, obviously one of my love languages is acts of service. We all caught on to this when I'm a storyteller. If you are living your life as yourself and using your story, your actions, your whatever to help benefit other people, you're serving other people and you're doing it correctly. But if you wake up with how can I do this for other people today, you are going to burn out because they're Mm going to take more than you can give way more than you can give so you have to you have to be okay with that you have to wake up and go i'm scared to do this thing ask yourself why am i scared to do this is it because they're going to judge me is it because they're not going to care enough is it because i don't know what i'm doing and i don't know how to or is it because you're just comfortable and i want to challenge everybody big challenge here welcome to my ted talk um there's a difference between being comfortable and being complacent And one of the things I constantly talk about on my website is zero complacency. Do not be complacent with something because you mistake that for comfort. Do not stay in a situation that doesn't behoove you, doesn't benefit you, doesn't do anything to help you grow because you feel comfortable in it. You're not comfortable. You're being Mm -hmm. complacent. You are allowing these things to happen around you. You are in control of your life. So be in control of it. And if you don't know what to do, reach out. Hair flip. (laughs) (laughs) i have to say there's only one thing that i can think of that that i would want to add to that which is when you were talking about you know what if they say no my my mother's response to that would be so what you have nothing less than you did before you asked honestly it's always a no unless you ask it mm-hmm. is. And, and that is my biggest pet peeve in the entire world is when people make decisions for me. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not talking, hey, we're going to go to dinner here. Are you OK with that? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when somebody I mean, this has been a conversation in my relationship. Um, this has been a conversation in jobs, things like that. Oh, well, we didn't think we could give you this or. Or in my relationship, I didn't know what was too much to tell you. I didn't know how much I could open up. Okay, well, don't make the decision for me. Let mm-hmm. me make that decision. When you start talking, when you start opening up, when you start doing these things, let me go, mm. hard stop. I'm going to need you to, for a minute. Like, there's there's a difference between that type of decision and everything else. So when, you act, when you're scared to do something or you don't do it because you're like, oh, they're going to say no, you don't know that. You can't yeah. make that decision for them because then you're literally taking your story from being like this. I'm making a V with my hands for those of you listening. Mm-hmm. You're taking it from being an open V where the funnel is above you and it's coming down towards you and you're flipping it around and narrowing it and making it a tiny funnel where you only have a small little itty bitty hope of, of whatever is going to happen there. And you can't, you can't do that. That's where that whole phrase comes. What if I fall? Well, what if you fly? Right. Yeah. What if they say yes? Jason Mraz says it. He goes, leap and the net will appear. Mm-hmm. And I'm a trapeze artist and I can tell you that, A, don't leap if there isn't a net there in a physical situation. But other than that, <laughs> like, just fun facts. But in other situations, just do it. Like, honestly, what is the worst that's going to happen? Do not rob a bank. That is not what I'm saying. But like, 
If your end goal is here and there's this big scary ledge, just do it. Eat the frog. Yeah, I mean, I can I can say from my own experience that the very first podcast interview I did for this show and, and a couple since then have happened just because I said, I'm standing here talking to this person or I'm going to email this person or whatever because I just got this idea that they would be a great guest. If they say no, they say no. And, you know, I mean, a lot of them didn't say no. So, you know, I, I literally the first interview that I did with Rob Sherman, I was talking to him at a convention and it just popped into my head to ask him. So I did. He didn't say no. And frankly, you know, that that interview I recorded almost a year before I actually launched the podcast. The fact that I had it, that I had recorded it helped me launch the podcast because it was sitting there and I felt like I need to do something with this. Well, that's how you, you know? and I were when, you're, so, when you posted and I commented on your thing. I by no means thought that my story was perfect for your your podcast and the, the type of tale that you're telling. And you messaged me and you were like, I don't quite get this. Like, what's the deal? And so I wrote back <laughs> and you're like, no, no, that does work. Sometimes yeah. it's the initial getting the question out and then going from there. And I tell people this all the time. A lot of the time, I personally clearly have no issues communicating. I'm very good at it. I'm very good at articulating what I'm feeling, even if it's me backtracking and like going over to fix it again. But sometimes there's people, more often than not, that are like, well, I don't know how to say it. And my response is, with words. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds like blunt and slightly condescending, and I don't mean it that way. I'm just witty and a jerk. Um, (laughs) It's fine. I mean the best. (laughs) Aren't we all? But you just literally, like, with words, like, I don't care if you're going to offend me, you can fix it. Because here's the thing, don't make the decision for me that I'm going to be offended. Obviously, don't go out trying to, like, piss people off, but say what you need to. And then if they don't like it, they're going to go, can you clarify that for me? Because I'm kind of upset by this. And that gives you the opportunity to not change what you say, but change the delivery of it. Mm -hmm. So if I say something out loud, like, "I, I hate dogs. And you're like, quick question, why? I can be like, well, I don't hate all dogs. I just had this bad experience with a dog at this time, so it kind of changes the way I feel about them. You don't hate them. You just had a bad experience. I love dogs. Right. This is just an example. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm all over the place. The coffee's kicking in. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. I'm an artist. I can't be quarantined for too long. I'm not sure any of us can be quarantined for too long. But, yeah, I think, I think we get hung up on, I have to say it right. I know I'll... I will totally do that. But I'm a writer, why? right? So I'm trained to edit. I'm trained to try to make the, the words the best they can be, which is a blessing and a curse. There's this beautiful thing, though, called editing. Yep. Where you can just go back and edit it after you've written it. Who cares? Yeah, it's Proof when you're editing exists. for the 500th time that it's a problem. Shh. But, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 But, but at the same time, a good writer also knows that it's never going to be perfect. At some point, you have to let it go. And you'll know that moment because you will feel it. And it'll just be like, it is, it's got to be good enough. But it's not for you, know? you. Right. That's the other thing that people forget is they're like, it's not perfect to you. To mm-hmm. you. To the one person that needs to hear this message, that needs to do this thing, that needs to... It is perfect as it is because it is what they needed. Nobody cares about the wrapping paper that the gift comes in. They care about what's in the box. What's in the box? Um, (laughs) Random movie reference for those that are paying a lot of attention. (laughs) But it's, they don't care about how it's packaged. It's it's the same thing with like the gift of the Magi or this, that people think extravagant gifts. They think they need to to make things perfect for the other person. And nine times out of the 10, the kid is just going to be like an avocado. Thanks. Like they don't care. Mm -hmm. 
It's it's the fact that you did anything, that you said anything, that 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 is what matters. It doesn't have to be perfect. Life is messy. Stop trying to be perfect. Flips table. Throws computer. Like <laughs> that's just oh I get oh my god. I, I go into detail on all of my my posts and things that I say. I'm just like stop trying to be perfect. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be perfect than you were yesterday. Just be better. Yeah. Just be better. Yeah, ah. perfect. Perfect is an illusion. Perfect doesn't really exist. So you can spend your whole life chasing this this illusion of this thing that's perfect that you probably don't even know what perfect would look like if I made you sit down and Ryan tell me Reynolds. exactly what. <laughs> In so most contexts, speak for yourself. Right? You know, you you probably don't even know what perfect actually looks like. You think you'll know it when you see it, and then you keep chasing it and chasing it and chasing it. Wonder why why you never find yeah, it? Yeah, but it's different you, you know. to each person, right? Because I can tell you right now, oh, this is one thing that I know I keep like tangenting, but this is one thing I wrote about in it that I was talking to my roommate at one point about relationships and everything. And we had this conversation where it was like, I don't find myself attractive and it's hard for me to date and and go out. Obviously not now I'm in a relationship. Stay with me. Um, But you can, it's hard to date because you don't find yourself attractive and it's perfectly okay to not be your own type. And it's just this this idea that our sense of perfect, we don't fit it, therefore we are unworthy of love or whatever. Oh, there goes a headphone. Or I'm like throwing my hands, I'm so excited. We have all this, we want this thing, we want this thing to be perfect, we want it to be these things, but we don't feel worthy of that back because we don't view ourselves that way, but we're not the ones that have to view it. Mm-hmm. If my partner... There's been plenty of times where I sat down and I'm like, I've gained weight and I feel this way and that. I'm just talking normally. My partner's like, I love you. What? Like, they're just confused. They're like, why mm-hmm. do, you, do you treat yourself so poorly? And it's the same thing about everything else. We strive for perfect in everything we do. And it doesn't exist. Meanwhile, we're over here like the worst thing ever. We think that we suck at this. We think that we suck at that. And somebody is looking up to you and they're like, you're beautiful. You're my idol. You're everything that I need in the world. And when you find that out, you're like, quick question. What are you on and can I have some? Because I don't also <laughs> feel that way. Like it's, you have to right. just let that go. Right. And, and, you know, you talk to enough people who, you know, have written a book that really moved you or a TV show that you really liked or, you know, did a performance that wrote the song, whatever. And, and you say things like that. And so many of them will say, Really, I'm so glad you appreciated that. And, and, you know, because they don't have any more sense of how their work hits you than you have of how yours hits somebody else. So, so yeah, there there is this moment of you just have to go let the thing be what it is, not what you're telling yourself you think it needs to be, and it'll land where it's supposed to land. You know, for the people who need to hear it or or need to see it or need to experience it, whatever it is, it's going to be exactly the the right thing. Even if it's a little rough around the edges, you know, even if you, you know, forgot to wear makeup that day or whatever your thing is that you usually do, it's not going to matter to them. No. And another thing to remember, too, is as creative types, as artists, Sometimes we put things out and nobody catches it and it hits Mm -hmm. the ground. For some reason, in a creative's head, if things aren't caught the first time around, they're not worth anything. Right. And people forget that if somebody drops a ball, someone else can come along and pick it up. 
And uh, there's been plenty of posts I've had. There's been plenty of conversations. And I wrote a piece of poetry three and a half years ago. And I had someone message me about it in the past month saying, mm-hmm. like, hey, I found this. This is cool. And I'm like, what dick site were you in? Like, what? And it's just, <laughs> they, we, art has no time limit. Creativity mm-hmm. has no time limit. Messages have no time limit. When they're supposed to reach who they're supposed to reach, they're going to. And just because it doesn't line up on my timeline when I create it, doesn't mean that it loses value later. Right. And also, not everyone is going to be your audience. That doesn't mean that what you produced is bad. It just means that person isn't your audience. Your stuff will find its own audience. Ain't that the truth? Niche down if you haven't done it, guys. It helps. (laughs) (laughs) Really helps. Also, another thing. um, This one is specifically for artists and creatives versus everyone else. It is okay to change your niche. It is okay to change your audience, your story. At some point, my story is going to be less about me overcoming everything and more about the life that I've built now that I've overcome everything. So, like, it's okay to grow and change and be somebody different. And I think I can resonate with that more because I did change my name Mm -hmm. and I, I did go through this huge thing. So, like, I have friends who will still call me by my my birth name or my my given name and I'm just like no it's Ryan now Mm -hmm. like I've I've changed it and nine times out of ten it's a oh okay and not a well why Mm -hmm. like nobody thinks to do that so don't be afraid to allow your art your message or whatever to grow and do that as well like it is perfectly okay we don't stay babies forever and nobody's gonna run up to you and be like oh my god you're so cute let me grab your cheeks like they're gonna understand that you've grown and you're a different person your opinions can grow and this is a big thing about mistakes that we make because i know specifically in celebrities we see it all the time where they they posted something years ago and people are like well you didn't like this thing so you're canceled like i'm sorry i've made mistakes before Mm -hmm. in my life and the difference is that i now understand why that is a mistake and i'm doing things to no longer allow myself to do those things like One thing I always, always, always tell people, especially when I get, you know, wrongfully named, they'll be like, oh my God, I'm sorry. I go, I understand. I don't say it's okay because I don't want them Mm -hmm. to think that it is okay to dismiss it. I understand. I understand that you're sorry. This is a learning process. Or when people say something that upsets me, they're like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I don't want you to be sorry. I want you to be better. Mm Mm-hmm. Just be better. No one's asking you to apologize. That apology does nothing for me. That's for you. That's mm-hmm. to relieve you of guilt. I'm, I don't want you to be sorry. I want you to be better. That's all I want for anybody is yeah. just to be better than they were yesterday. Right. Well, I feel like that's a really good place to stop. Sure. Because so, I can talk forever. Because we've like hit so many really, really good deep things, which I think is fantastic. So oh, I've thank you. Blast. Thank you so, so, so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience with us. That's this week's episode. Many thanks to Ryan Ward for sharing his story and wisdom with us. If you know someone who would appreciate this episode, please share it with them. Thanks so much. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.